0: Welcome. Well, you're at home with Jim and Joy, and you are an important part of our EWTN family, and we are delighted that you have welcomed us into your home. You know, we would love to hear from you. So send us an email with a question or a comment to at EWTN.com. Well today, our guest again is John Martinoni. Now John has authored several books on evangelization because he is the director of evangelization for the Diocese of Birmingham, Alabama. And he's here today to talk with us about a new book entitled, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism. I said it. And it's available at EWTNRC.com. We had a great conversation with John just talking about how complicated it can be in Protestant land and trying to... Navigate and have a conversation and defend your faith or see how how it can unravel yeah. when you don't really have all the answers and you think your relationship with Jesus is just about you and Jesus mm-hmm. and you're not connected yeah. to the whole church and don't I just get to be a Christian all by myself and it's all about me and Jesus, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And so those ways that we can understand each other and we have Protestants in our family. I once was a Protestant and um, I converted and one of the beautiful things for me in being Catholic, the word safe. Mm -hmm. I felt very safe in being home in the Catholic Church. And I really felt like I was home because for us in the Episcopal Church, the the what we were in part of, what we were a part of. There was always a line in the sand. And it was, we. Were, well, now we're going to talk about this. And now we're going to talk about this. And we're <laughs> going to welcome this. And it, it was always changing. And um, the church isn't changing. Synods can come and go. The church isn't changing. And I'm sticking with the church.
1: So plenty more to come from John <clears throat> Martinoni and his book, A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism. So there's plenty more to come. You'll learn a lot. And you should get the book, EWCNRC.com. We'll be right back, please don't go away.
0: Welcome back. Well, we have John Martinoni with us again, and he has authored a beautiful book that we encourage you all to get, Blue Collar. It's all about the blue collar to Protestantism, and it's available at EWTNRC.com. Well, John, the second half of the book deals with questions that Protestants can't answer. Now, you've spoken to thousands of Protestants over the years. How did you come up with these questions?
2: Well, uh, first of all, <laughs> let me say that, as I say in the introduction to the book, when you ask these questions of Protestants, you will get answers, hmm. but the answers will either contradict Scripture or they will contradict the Protestants' theology, one or the other. So that's the sense that I mean they can't answer the question. And the way I com- came up with these questions, it just it, it literally grew out of my conversation with, with Protestants. Uh, um, I'd be talking to a Protestant, they'd be saying something and all of a sudden, I'd realize that that doesn't really make sense. Mm. So I'd follow up, I'd say, well, what about this? And these que- and then I realized, I so said, when I asked that question, the person either shifted, you know, well, I'll ask a question, they'll go, well, well why do you worship Mary? It's like, well, no, let's come back from Mary. Let, let's finish talking mm. about this first. Mm. Um, and I realized, I said, these questions are causing problems to these people in terms of answering them. Like I said, in, in a in a manner that does not contradict anything that they believe or anything that's in Scripture, because the underlying theology in, in their beliefs is off kilter. It it's not systematic. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and so I started. And, and again, these. The first several questions just came through natural conversation. Then I started thinking, okay, what else could I ask? On on once saved, always saved, on the Eucharist, on on uh, salvation by faith alone, on sola scriptura and so yeah. on. And so that's how these, the, over the years, <laughs> these questions just slowly developed and I'd write them down and I'd keep asking them. And I, I say there are questions Protestants can't answer because I've never gotten a rational, consistent answer <laughs> from. Protestants across the board on these particular questions.
1: Well, you got a bunch of them in there. Um, Thirty. Mm-hmm. Thirty. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking during this conversation. I don't want to take us totally off track, but I got another book title for you. <laughs> questions that Catholics can't answer. And yeah. By, well, by that, by yeah. that, I mean not that they don't. We don't have the answers. We don't know the answers. Right. Anyway, just just saying. Th- that's that good. Would be, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh yeah. That would be great. Oh, I agree. You know? Okay.
2: Um, 100%. Now
1: what was my question to you? Okay. So some, some of the, About que- the questions. some of the major questions that that you kind of raise or maybe not so major, but what are what are some of these questions that they can't really answer?
2: Well, and this one focuses on sola scriptura. Uh, it, the first half of the book was kind of looking at the forest instead of the trees. Second half of the book is looking at the trees instead of okay. the forest. Good. So one of the individual trees would be sola scriptura. And the the belief is Everything I know and believe about my faith comes from the Bible, the Bible alone, or, or the Bible is the sole infallible authority right. for my faith. And so I, I asked, I said, so do you believe the gospel of Mark is the inspired, inerrant Word of God? Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Why? Where in the Bible does it say some guy named Mark, wrote this gospel and it was and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to do it and there are no errors in that gospel where does it say that in the Bible they and I say give me book chapter and verse cannot do it cannot do it because nowhere in the Bible does it say the Gospel of Mark was written by a man named Mark who was inspired by the Holy Spirit doesn't say that so the um, consequence is or, or, or what falls out from that is that Okay, you say you believe in Sola Scriptura, you go by the Bible alone, but actually you need some authority outside of the Bible to give you your Bible in the first place, which is a logical contradiction to Sola Scriptura. So maybe think about that. Who was that authority? Who are you relying on in order to have your Bible in the first place? And, and to tell you that, yes, these books are the inspired inerrant word of God. Who is telling you this? Mm-hmm. And
0: My pastor, my, my pastor. denomination.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, but I said, well, how do they know? Mm-hmm. Who's your pastor relying on? Who's your denomination relying on? Who told you? Give me a name, mm-hmm. give, you know, and I, I said, I can give you a name. You're relying on the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. the authority of the Catholic Church to, as, as a witness to the fact that this book is the inspired and errant Word of God. Mm-hmm. And they either don't want to admit that or no, it wasn't the Catholic Church. I, I had one person tell me, well, it was the witness of the early Christians. And I'll say, which ones? Give me some names. Right.
1: You
2: know, yeah. where were they? And what authority did they have? You're, you're giving these early Christians, some of the, who you don't even, can't even tell me their name, but they had the authority to tell you that this book is the inspired, and inerrant word of God? Where's where that coming from? And again, the whole thing, it's not, not meant to, gotcha, uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to prove you're mm-hmm. wrong. It's meant, think about it. Yeah. Just think about it. And maybe come over and look at the arguments that I have or that the church has for it being the church, the Catholic church being the one founded by Jesus Christ, and that it has the authority of Jesus Christ to determine these all these questions on doctrines and dogmas and Christian practice and so forth. Just think about it.
1: Yeah, that's powerful. And uh, another one you want to bring up? Well,
2: yeah, I've got uh, you know a lot of Protestants, not all, but a lot of them believe in this uh, doctrine of once saved, always saved. Once I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior, I'm saved. Does it matter what happens after that? If I sin or not, uh, does it matter? I'm going to heaven. You know, once saved, always saved. So I asked the question, was the prodigal son saved at the beginning of the parable when he was in his father's house? I mean, Pretty much universally among Christians, it's recognized that the father in this instance represents God the Father, and so you're in the Father's house, you're in good standing with the Father, so the prodigal son at the beginning of this was saved. He was alive, and and being alive in salvation terms means you're saved, but what does he do? He goes off and he sins, he lives a, a sinful life, and then he says, well, he, at some point he repents, says, I've sinned against my father, against God. He repents, he comes back. And what does the father say? This is interesting in, in Luke 15, 24, the father says, for this, my son was dead and is alive again. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa, wait a minute. So he was alive, he was dead. He was alive again. Mm. In salvation terms, he was saved unsaved, saved again. Well, if once saved, always saved is true, this, this parable is wrong. The father was wrong to say that. What he should have said is this is my son who, he was alive and he's still, he's been alive and he's still alive, but he's come back, but he's never been dead. No, it says he was dead, dead. Why? He was dead in sin. He was dead to the father. He had separated himself through sin from his father.
0: right, And he was a part, but he chose to be a part.
2: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It wasn't anybody, you know, (laughs) Satan, nothing takes him away from God. He chose to be Mm -hmm. away from God through sin. Mm -hmm. And so once saved, always saved. Well, it's not happening here. Not happening here.
1: It's all, it gets pretty confusing sometimes to understand all of this and you're making your case. But all I know is this, I'm saved by faith alone. So that's right. what I know, right? So I'm bringing that sola fide. Is that what it's called? Yes. Faith alone. So that, is that true? I'm saved by faith alone. T- tell us about that. Because that might be another question they can't answer.
2: It is. Oh, yeah. the, and the question is, do you have to love God in order to be saved? Well, what, what your, your yeah. first instinct is, well, of course, right? Yeah. Everybody's first instinct. Well, of course yeah. you have to love God. But... The, the dogma of sola fide, salvation by faith alone, by definition, love has nothing to do with your mm-hmm. salvation. It's faith and faith alone. So I don't have to love God to be yeah. saved. Yeah. I don't have to love my fellow man to be saved. Yeah. I can break the two great commandments, but I'm still saved as long as I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my mm-hmm. personal Lord and Savior. Well, so, the person you asked this, you know, do you have to love God in order to be saved? The answers I've gotten are, well, if you're truly saved, you will love God. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're talking about to get saved, do you have to love God? And I, all the t- I've asked that question probably hundreds of times. Once, and only once, I had a guy look me straight in the eye for about 10, 12 seconds. Mm. And he, he realized the conundrum he was mm. in. Because it's ridiculous to say you don't have to love God and you can be yeah. saved. But he realized, but it's faith alone. Mm. So he looked at me, he said, no, I don't have to love God in order to be saved. Mm. I was like, wow. Oh my goodness. Well, that was
1: honest. Mm-hmm.
2: It was honest. Yeah. And it was consistent with his yeah. theology. Right.
0: Because <clears throat> if he did say yes, then he would have to abandon his then theology. it's
2: faith and love by which we're saved. Right not faith alone, which is exactly what Catholics believe in Galatians 5, 6, it says in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. Right.
1: So that would be a better statement. Faith working through love, however you Mm -hmm. say that in Latin, instead of sola fide, that would be a little better statement. Right,
2: so yeah, Yeah. so yeah, those questions, that's what these questions are getting people to stop Mm -hmm. and think. and it's not just for the Protestants' benefit to think, but it's for the Catholics yes. too, right. to, because right. these questions are helping the Catholic better understand their own yeah. faith right. and mm-hmm. what their faith teaches and what it doesn't teach. And it, it allows them to, to crystallize in mm-hmm. their mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. this is, oh, I get it yeah. now. Yes. And, and, and also through these
1: questions, connecting it to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Well then maybe you don't need to write another book (laughs) because I was saying what Catholics can't answer mm -hmm. that's why we're reading this book too because you might read this you know putting it on Protestants, you can answer and then we're gonna say oh i actually believed what they were saying and not th- like oh my gosh am i really catholic or what am i believing here Joe, i'm sorry well
0: I'm... i i think of our granddaughter gabby she's a senior in college and she's dating a protestant guy and so he has lots of questions about her faith and he's going to her catholic church you know right. and so but she's having you know she she, she all the sacraments <laughs> yeah. right She was sacramentalized, right? Right. She went through everything, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, has a relationship with Jesus, but can she articulate the depths of why she does what she does in her church? To a
1: guy that's open. Right,
0: Right? and so she's like, she's going to the catechism and having to explain, but it's been a depth faith journey for her too. So it's, and which is a beautiful thing. So if you have people in our lives Where we're Catholic and Protestant, not everybody wants to go through the RCIA program. You might be that person that God's going to use to say, let the dialogue begin. Yes. First of all, be a great witness of love, be patient, be kind, be loving, be understanding, be open to hear their heart and then not for you to jump on them with the answers because I did it wrong too. I mean, you know, with great passion. <laughs> I mean, I did it wrong, as and I think, Protestant, as a Protestant yeah. and as a Catholic, trying to defend my faith, and it's like, no, maybe I, I could have done that better or said that better because I believe, if everybody's seeking truth, yes, then we're all going to become Catholic. Yes. I mean, right? <laughs> but we had to just keep going and going and going, um, yeah. for everyone, for all of us.
2: And that's why the, this book and my my first book. Um, basically what I tell Catholics, I say, these books teach Catholics how to talk Bible to Protestants Mm -hmm. because the Protestants are steeped in the Bible, which is a wonderful thing. And this is, where can I find this in the Bible is what they want to know. Well, that's what these books tell them. And the reason I don't, in the book, it's questions. It's not statements that prove Protestants are wrong. Mm -hmm. It's questions Protestants can't answer because number one, I want the Protestants to go, Oh, come on. There's there aren't any questions about the Bible or anything I can't answer, so I want them to pick it up, which makes it a very good book for Catholics to just say, hey, mm-hmm. this guy says you can't answer these questions. I would really <laughs> appreciate your opinion. That's mm-hmm. good. Is he right? Right. You know, what do you think about these questions? Are they legitimate? Mm-hmm. And and that way it makes it a discussion between that person and me and pulls the Catholic out. It makes right. them a spectator. Right. So the defensive walls come down a little mm-hmm. bit. But it's it's questions because I, I like I said, I'm not pointing out you're wrong, you're mm-hmm. wrong. It's mm-hmm. Consider this. Mm-hmm. Have you considered this? Right. Think about this. That's why I ask questions instead of make statements.
1: You mm-hmm. know, they say that's the Socratic method. Right. Socrates would ask questions. And it's just, you know, if you want to advance, because yeah, people have to work through things. They yes. have to hear the, their voice. We do this in marriage counseling as well. It's like maybe they've been saying it to one another, but now you're asking the questions. And they hear one another in a more fair way. Yeah. And they just say, am I really doing that? Is that really happening?" And they feel less threatened through asking Questions.
2: Right. Well, that's, yeah. I've, I've had people, I have never, ever that I can think of, and I, again, I've talked to thousands of Protestants, never had one, and, and I'm, I'll am i include Catholics in there who don't really believe their faith in many instances, never had one when I was talking to them say, oh, you know, you're right. Mm-hmm. But I've had plenty later on. One, one person, it was several years later, yeah. sent me an email. You may not remember this. We had this conversation it was a Catholic who didn't believe he needed to go to confession. Mm -hmm. He said, but you were talking about confession and I thought about it for three weeks. And I realized, you know, oh, Mm -hmm. what he said was right. Mm -hmm. He said, I came back to confession. I've been going once a month ever since, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's it's just, you want to lower tension. Mm -hmm. You don't want defensive walls to come up. You want them to come down and you do that by asking questions. Now, Mm -hmm. sometimes people are still going to get upset. Well, I tell people I say, look, Jesus loved people more than anybody on earth ever could. And people got upset with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. So don't expect better. Right. When you're talking truth, the truth upsets people mm-hmm. many, many times. So they will get upset, but don't be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just learn yeah. how to deal with it Absolutely. and say, okay, well, maybe we, you know, we'll yeah. come back to this. Yeah. I had one time I was giving a talk. there's a young lady who's Baptist in the audience. And during the Q and A, she just came at me. I mean, she, I could tell she was restraining herself, but I could tell she is hot under the collar. Yeah. Well, about three years later, I saw her again. She goes, do you remember me? I said, no, I, I said, your face looks familiar, but w-. she goes, I was at that talk. I asked you, oh yeah, she goes, she was cantering in the Catholic church. Oh my God. She had joined the church. Mm-hmm. She said, I went to prove you wrong. And I realized, huh? Yeah. He was right, after all. It's Thank God. We're going
1: to take a break at this point, John. We'll come back for a few more minutes. A Blue Collar Answer to Protestantism, available now, EWTNRC.com. Go to it. Get the book. We'll be right back. Plenty more to come. Don't go away. Welcome back. Well, John, we just have a few minutes and uh, I just wanted to ask you, it seems like in your first book, Blue Collar Evangelization, in this book there's a big focus on Protestants. Why not Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, just total unbelievers? Why are you always picking on Protestants? <laughs> well,
2: uh, several reasons. Okay. Number one, all of, these, all of these things in these books has grown out of my personal experience. And I, un- until, this morning, before coming to this show, I had never had Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door. Wow. They did this morning, five minutes before I was, I was like, oh, I wish I had more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so. so Can I, you come I, back? I was able to have a little bit of an exchange. Yeah. Uh, but so I've never talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. never talked to, to Mormons, never talked to Muslims about these things, but I've talked to plenty of Protestants and atheists also. So in my first book, I covered something with okay. atheists. But uh, so, so there's that. Secondly is um, Jesus tells us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Mm-hmm. Well, the Christian house is divided against itself tens of thousands of times over. And because of that, I, I believe because of the divisions within Christianity, that's why the world has gone crazy because there is not one voice that the Christian faithful are speaking with. They're speaking with hundreds of thousands. of There are some Christians who are so-called Christians saying abortion is okay. That, uh, yeah, men can be women, women can be men and, and all these crazy things that are going, coming from Christian pastors. Mm-hmm. We're not speaking with one voice. So that's another reason right. why I'm trying to, you know, right. talk to Protestants to help unify the body of Christ and then Jesus prayed at the Last Supper mm-hmm. to the Father, let them, and he was speaking in that instance, of those who would become followers of his through the words of the apostles, let them, his followers, be one father as you and I are one. Well, Jim, do you think the the father and the son disagree on infant baptism? No. You know, do, do they disagree on, on once saved, always saved, or, or <laughs> how we're saved? Or No. Yeah. yeah. So all the essential doctrines, the non-essential doctrines, the Father and the Son are one, as well as the Holy Spirit are one on all of these. Are Christians one? No. So that's my passion Mm -hmm. is for the body of Christ to be one. So, and and one other thing, you read a good book, what do you do? You tell people about Mm -hmm. it. You see a good movie, what do you do? You tell people about it. In the Catholic Church we have the body, blood, soul, and divinity of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ that we receive in the Eucharist. What do we ordinarily do? A lot mm-hmm. of us don't open our mouths. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I want the Baptist to have what I have. Yes. So it's, it's not hating them or no. anything, it's, it's quite the opposite. Sure. I want them to share the joys and the treasures that I have access to in the Catholic Church. I want them to have the same wonderful, incredible things that I have. And the
0: beauty and the fullness
2: of it all. Yes.
1: We're going to conclude with that. Our time's run out. It's a beautiful statement. It helps us to understand what we should be doing, why we should be doing it. That work of evangelization or a new evangelization, apologetics. Yes. God bless you. you. Thank you. May the fire burn in you to share with our Protestant brothers and sisters that they may come into a greater fullness. May we share because we love them. And we want to come into this unity that Jesus Christ gave his life for. Mm -hmm. God bless you and all of you loved ones. Keep it on EWTN. Bye now.